It, the heat is real. Yeah, we, is we're, we're going to contribute snow to the league. They'll give us humidity. Uh, you're welcome. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Friend of the program, Harvey Longy is back. Harvey, welcome back to the show, man. Thank you. Thank good you to see me. you. Yeah, it's always good. Always good to be back on the turf, you know. Uh, this turf. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, so, um, it's, um, it's been great. So I'm glad that I'm here. Grateful for it. Yeah, well, we talked to you at Pro Day. Um, now we uh, have moved past that. The draft has happened. We'll talk to you a little bit about that. But we're getting into win projection totals for BYU football. And you're around the boys. You're working with the guys. You're around Kalani and the staff and your offseason. And we see the win total set at five. And I said earlier, I was, I was bugged. I was like, yeah. five wins? BYU's better than five wins. How do you see that win projection? Well, of course, I'm biased. So, you know, I think that's disrespectful. <laughs> but when, when it came out and I saw that, I always, I, um, a saying came from um, when I was with the Patriots my rookie year. And um, there's these, you know, there's these uh, five things going into the building and five things going out to the building that you had to learn. And one of the things was, you know, don't believe the hype and don't feel the hype. And I love that because, you know, Vegas is hype and all these projections are hype. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of odds and you can, you know, pick and, you know, figure out the statistic and logistics of things and players coming back. And, but I truly believe, you know, hype is out there. You can either feel it or not. And I'm going to say it's disrespectful. I want my boys to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking more of, you know, six, yeah. six and, and above. I'm thinking bowl game for sure. What vibe are you feeling with the guys? You're working, you just came from practice or, or the IPF, yeah. uh, and, and you're working out with individuals. What, what vibe are you getting from these Cougars that makes you think six or seven? Yeah, I think um, it's, the, it's hunger. I, I think that's the word that comes. They, these guys are hungry. And uh, you know, they, they're, a lot of, a lot of the, the young men are coming out there and just working and want to work. And you know, I, I told them, you know, with this hard work, you know, doing it with somebody else. Don't ever come in here by yourself. You know, don't ever go lift by yourself because they're in a point right now where they can just go lift right. and they can just go run and they're about to go start their summer program and, you know, just get in great shape. But, you know, during this like, you know, month period during finals and all that, I'm like, this is the time where you guys work together with each other. And a lot of them have shown that. So I just see a lot of like, hey, there's new, new energy in the building, you know, with Jay Hill. There's a lot of new guys in the building. So I told them, BYU is one of the most diverse teams in the whole planet. No one understands. You have missionaries. You have non-missionaries. You have married, non-married. You have races. You have married with kids, married with not kids. So like a lot of, a lot of uh, different cliques, if you want to call. So I told him, like, the only way you break that down is, hey, go grab, go break bread together, go lift together, show, you know, understand each other's whys. And, and that will, on top of their preparation with the coaching staff, will take them overseas. Because then you start fighting for your teammates, right, in yeah, a game. 100%. 100%. So I truly think it will come down to Arkansas. We need everyone that's near Arkansas that is a BYU fan needs to get there. Um, if we can show, you know, early, you know, I do believe the two games before that, you know, Utah Tech and, and the other one, uh, they, you know, those are going to be great games here. But I'm just saying Arkansas is going to be for me. And I yeah, just see yeah. if we could see the Cougars come out and do what they need to do in Arkansas in that type of environment, if we can get – that 
crimson, more blue in that uh -huh, stadium, uh -huh. I I promise BYU Nation, you'll, you'll be surprised. I think that will be that's the game. That will be the go. game to to push them forward. Okay, Harvey's calling for more blue in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Yes, we do. <laughs> Woo, pig cougar! Oh yeah, let's go. call the hogs out like nothing over there. Uh, clearly, you're a big motivator, Harvey, and I love that. I love that they that you have taken your own time to go and work with these guys. I know you're close to the coaching staff. You better be careful. They might try and poach you when you're done playing football to come and coach at BYU. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, yeah, my, my biggest thing is that, like, man, if I have time, I stay just, you know, a couple blocks away. I use this place to, you know, get, get better into craft. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to throw it up for the guys to come in and, and learn some things that, you know, I've learned when I've, I've been in the NFL. So it's been great. So it's, it's cool to work with them. When you talk about the Big 12 and you're helping guys get ready for a schedule, and we were just talking about it a moment ago, that they've never had before, starting with Arkansas, who's in the SEC, with a run of 10 straight P5 games. Yeah. For a guy who's played an NFL schedule, that's probably the closest to uh, that kind of week-in and week-out battle. Um, so you're an expert at it. What, what do you tell them to prep them? What, what is that grind like when it's every week and, and you might be an underdog every week? Yeah, well, the, I, I went to the University of Utah my first year. It was 2011. That was the first year that um, Utah went to the Pac-12. The year before that, they went 10-3. and three. They're balling um, in the Mountain West, I believe. And from the Mountain West, they went to the Pac-12. No one thought, like, oh, they're going to have growing pains. We ended up 8-5 and five with yep. a bowl game win in the Sun Bowl. Um, I truly think that um, if the guys understand the opportunity, I was, um, and I'll go back to your question is, you know, when we played here, we always waited for that big game, the Texas game. Right. We waited for these big games. Now every day is a big game. And um, going into, you know, the league and having a, a big game every, every week, um, it just goes back to, you know, the guru coach again. You know, Belichick always said before every meeting, we will win when we keep from losing. And I was thought, I'm like, duh, coach. <laughs> We're going to win if we don't lose. Genius. <laughs> Whatever. Ah, after points. You yeah. know, we went to the Super Bowl that year, halfway through the season, you know, um, you know, and then during the season and going to these meetings, I'm like, he's talking about fundamentals. He's talking about dumb penalties, unnecessary penalties. He's talking about watching film. He's talking about recovery. He's talking about doing the things that you can control. Yeah, you're going to get a couple calls. You know, TCU had two wins. They had... Um, Oklahoma homeboy got um, injured in overtime. Then they they beat um, uh, the Texas, but uh, there was a bunch of different calls. You know, like yeah, that happened. Yeah. You know, is it? I uh, know Texas Tech. I mean, you know, they went eight and five last last um, season. But there was a bunch of things that that happened. I'm like, you know what? If you can control all, you can control those things you couldn't control. The injury when they went against OU. You know, all the different little calls when they went against Texas. Those are gonna happen. But if you can control the controllables, you will win when you keep from losing. And I'm like, profound, I'm like, go. Yes. <laughs> so prepara preparation towards that is just comes down to crafting, fundamentals, understanding what Jay Hill and A-Rod are trying to do, Kalani are trying to do. If you can understand the plan, then what? Baylor, come on, let's go 80 yards. Oh, you got 10 yards? Well, you still have another 70. Right. You know, all of us know what we can do. All of us know the plan, and we're just going to stick with it because it's a, it's a long game. So... That that that'd be my advice. Well know. said. Harvey Lungy is on BYU Sports Nation. Is everybody juiced? Yeah, we're ready. I'm, I'm juiced right now. Right now. Uh, you mentioned Jay Hill, and he clearly brings a more aggressive mindset defensively compared to what BYU was running under Elisa Tuiaki. Different schemes. Both those coaches had their different skill sets. But what do you expect the defense to look like under Jay Hill, and and how different is it going to look compared to what we've seen in the past few years? 
Um, that's a great question. I love Jay. Jay was um, recruiting me when I was younger, played with him at um, the University of Utah. Um, so it's crazy. You know, you have Jay Hill from um, Jay Hill, A-Rod, and Kalani. They're all there, and now they're all here together. Um, people don't understand that when you get the coaching staff that you already, you know, have worked with and be, you know, in the past, and now they're here together, once they understand the nuances of the, the culture of, like, you know, how BYU works and all that, they will put that aside and understand how to work with each other. So that's already done. So that's the amazing part. Now they need to understand the kids and understand the culture here. So I'm super excited for Jay. If you look at his past, um, balled out when he left to go to Weber State and yeah. did great as a head coach. And his first year wasn't too good. From then, just rolled and rolled and rolled. And if you look at his last year from last year, um, his uh, record from last year, a lot of the games where they just well, all the wins that they had were defensive one games. They were low. The, the other team didn't score past 21 points, if that. And then the, the games that were close or the games where they lost, it was a shootout. So I think that that's the culture that he brings in. He brings in that defense is going to win us games. And I really like what he's going to bring in. Isn't it uh, interesting how defenders respond to a defensive mindset of let's hold them versus the Jay Hill approach of let's get them? Let's get them. Exactly. I like that. And um, I think he has the, um, um, the players to do so also. And if we, if we can be that aggressive, but also be able to, you know, have good back end defense also, I think it's just going to be, be Jay Hill's dialing up some stuff out there. You know, and <laughs> I'm super excited for him. Yeah. And for how old he is, he still looks young out there running around and throwing that ball. I didn't think he can huck that thing, but he can laser <laughs> it out there. So I'm super excited for Jay Hill. And I know he's going to bring his defensive mindset on top of Kalani's. You know, Kalani was a defensive coordinator, right. you know, for me growing up and all that, always knowing his defensive mindset, yeah. working with the linebackers, always with the defense. And then with him and Jay Hill together, with all the other supporting staff, it's, it's going to be great. NFL linebacker Harvey Longy is on BYU Sports Nation. Obviously, BYU fans are very interested in what you're doing with your career right now. You most recently played for the Raiders. I know some things are up in the air, but is more football in your future? What, what's, uh, where do you stand right now? Yeah, football's for sure always going to be there. I, I always, my saying is till the wheels fall off, you know. I say that to my brothers, but um, right now we're just in negotiations with the Raiders, and, you know, if, um, if things happen, we'll, we'll keep moving forward. If we come to a conclusion, if not, then I'll be a free agent and, and work from there, but the dream is still here, and I'm super excited to, you know, be 30 years young chasing it. So, <laughs> banged up against the Chiefs, I think you should call Andy Reid and say, "Hey, dude, what the heck, man? What's going on?" <laughs> no, man, we just we talked together at the coaching convention last year, man. Now you throwing shit now. Um, yeah, shout out to him. He's doing a great job uh, yeah. out there. Tell him to save some rings for the rest of us. <laughs> you know, he's, him and yeah, him and Bill aren't gonna have too many rings. On, they're not gonna have enough fingers for you know, those rings that they're getting. So I love it, yeah. Harvey. Great to catch up with you, man. Yeah. Thanks for uh, being a guest today, um, and best of luck moving forward uh, really with the Raiders it. or whoever else it is. And like I said, I know that Kalani and staff might try and poach you. Listen, I might want to poach you as a broadcaster, Harv. Okay, or a come be speaker. come be an analyst with me on TV. <laughs> hey, whatever it is, it is. But I'm just excited for the Cougs this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, this was awesome to be here with you guys. Hopefully, we can do it again. You bet. Let's go. BYU Nation. It's all up. You know, these away games, these home games, especially the home games. We got to we got to just come out here and support the boys. 
That Arkansas game, I want it covered in blue. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Get the blue to Fayetteville. Get the blue there. All right, Disrespect. All right. Thank you, Harvey. <laughs> Great to talk to you. Man. Okay, thank you. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. What's Trending presented by Bodyguards. Protection for a life worth living. Learn more at bodyguards.com. Athlon Sports has given us some preseason or off-season fodder, and we always appreciate that, especially in early to mid-May. Yeah, right after spring football. We here regardless. They have slated Keaton Slovis as the eighth best quarterback as currently constituted in the Big 12. So among the 14 that are in the Big 12, I know, it doesn't make sense right now, but it will. Keaton Slovis, number eight. How do we feel about Keaton Slovis and where he fits among the starting quarterbacks of the 14 teams in the Big 12 conference? Well, depends which Keaton Slovis you're talking about. Uh, If you're talking about 2019 Keaton Slovis, hey, that guy's top five in the league uh, to me. But if it's the Keaton Slovis we saw at Pitt, certainly that guy is uh, eight plus. But uh, I think we think he'll be somewhere in between those versions, right? Um, and the fact that BYU has had real success at the quarterback position uh, under Jeff Grimes and now Aaron Roderick, I think um, Keaton is in for a big season. Um, and hopefully he plays all you know, 14 games prior to BYU making the playoff. And the, I'm kidding. Um, hopefully he plays all 13 games. BYU goes to a bowl game. Wins. That, that would be great because Keaton certainly has shown in his career that he can be a top-end guy. Coming out of high school in Arizona, it was a three-star. Kind of surprised some people getting in the mix when JT Daniels went down against um, you know, Fresno State in game one. And then we saw Keaton Slovis as a freshman in Lavelle Edwards Stadium. That game goes to overtime. If Keaton is healthy and closer to that 2019 version, I've got him top five. And in no particular order, Jalen Daniels of Kansas, Dylan Gabriel of Oklahoma, Quinn Ewers of uh, Texas, John Reese Plumley of UCF. Those are the guys that kind of are in the top five for me. It is interesting, though. Will Howard was the starting quarterback for Kansas State quite a bit. They won the league. So he doesn't have monster numbers, but he is the, the reigning kind of incumbent Power 5 champ of that league quarterback. That's I what s- makes this interesting, isn't it? It is interesting, right? And a lot of these guys, Spence, are fourth or fifth-year guys in the league. Like even at Texas Tech, Tyler Shuck, fifth-year guy, two years at Oregon, now his third year at Texas Tech. He's a dual-threat guy. He's interesting. We know about Blake Shapin at Baylor, having seen him – uh, last year as the starting guy. Um, and then there's some interesting other guys, like Chandler Morris at TCU won the starting job, got hurt, and then Max Duggan took over, and then TCU makes its run. He was good enough to outdo Max Duggan early, so how good is he, right? And then there's some unknowns, like Alan Bowman at Oklahoma State takes over for Spencer Saunders, who oddly transfers from a good program like that to Ole Miss, where he'll compete with Jackson Dart. So I'm not exactly sure where he fits in this, but if he is close to that, tw- oh, John Reese, uh, sorry, John Reese Plumley, really good as well at UCF. Plays on the baseball team currently, like a Jaron Hall type. Oh, I saw all of the spring footage of him <laughs> yeah. being taken in a golf cart from going. baseball to football. Jaron Hall's like, I did that one time, a couple times. <laughs> Old like, news, man. It happened. Yes, there's some good quarterbacks, and there always have been in the, in the Big 12. But I don't know that there's like the high-end, like first-round dude sitting there. Like Dylan Gabriel's an interesting case. You already destroyed Dylan Gabriel with UCF in the 2020 Boca Raton Bowl. So what is he with Oklahoma? He is, he is a guy who's been behind first-round uh, offensive linemen and NFL receivers. Like, he benefits from being in an incredible offense with a lot of talent. 
Now, frankly, Keen Slovis did as well at USC. He had three NFL receivers his freshman year sitting there, and Michael Pittman Jr., Amon Ross St. Brown, and Drake London. Oh, by the way, Tyler Vaughn's in the XFL as well. So he had some dudes. Yeah, Drake London was the third best on that <laughs> team, which is wild. Drake was a freshman. And we only benefited from not seeing Drake. Um, in, the, in 2021. At, at the end of 2021. If yes. Drake's in that ground, that's tough. So, listen, Keaton's a talented guy. I'm hoping he's uh, kind of top five, top seven, top half, right? If he's in that space, I think BYU's in a good spot, and he certainly can be. A lot of confidence in his ability to, one, be healthy, two, find the right offense for him, which John Beck kind of alluded to. Uh, well, well, no, he was pretty direct about it, actually, uh, a few months ago. These lists are always interesting because it always comes down to the returning production versus the eye test, and then a little speculation on what weapons each of these quarterbacks will have coming back and the returning production that they bring back. I feel like when I look at this list, it is primarily returning production because at the top of the list is Jalen Daniels of Kansas. And yeah, he was awesome. Then he got hurt and we didn't really get to see him a ton against the meat of Kansas' schedule, right? Yeah, they went 4-0 and game day showed up and he got hurt. Then he gets hurt. In that game, I think. So... All we have to go off is, well, we saw Jalen Daniels do this when he was healthy, but what would he have been or become had he faced but the also Kansas football, of right? Kansas' like, schedule. Come on, man. I'm not saying Jalen Daniels Kansas isn't a great football? athlete. Jalen no, Daniels, they, they probably win two more games if he remains the starting quarterback, and they do not fall off the cliff edge. They Listen, they were graded on a curve, though. Because they sucked for so long, we're like, they made a bowl game. Yes. So they got you ranked. Made a bowl game, congrats! The national media made a huge deal about them being disrespected <laughs> and not receiving top twenty-five votes. Well, if Jalen Daniels stays healthy, then we shall see. What? And, like it's been one season. Beware the one season thing, though. Yes, could be a one-hit wonder, For like sure, like the O'Neaters. If I'm going by, I tend to lean more towards like eye test and what you do in big games in the biggest moments. For me, I'm putting Quinn Ewers at the top of the list. The dude balled out against Alabama and then got hurt. Yes. And for me, it's like, well, what was he doing when he was at his best against the toughest competition? Does it get any tougher than Alabama? No. He cut his hair. Maybe that was uh, his downfall. I don't, Come on, I don't know. But I would put Quinn Ewers at the top of the list. Dylan Gabriel. You put him number one or near the top? I'd probably put him number one. Oh, wow. Okay. I would probably put him number one. Yeah. Jalen Daniels is a top three quarterback based on what we saw yesterday, or last year, I should say. And based on returning production. The returning production. Yeah, but John Reese Plumley feels like a top five quarterback to me, too. Yes, he does. Why? Dylan Gabriel is the mystery for me. And we're going to talk to Barry Trammell, like who if, writes for the Oklahoman, who knows all about If Dylan has, Oklahoma like, football. Houston's receivers or BYU's receivers or whoever, like, Oklahoma is another level. They just skill positions and that low line. That off that offense is one of the best. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yes, I feel like Keaton Slovis is in a fair spot right now based on the entirety of his career. Yes, but to me, I'd probably put him above Blake Shapen at Baylor. I, I would too, based on his freshman year alone. Yes, like uh, Blake Blake threw ten picks last year. And what is Keaton Slovis after surgery? We're hearing from Aaron Roderick and Keaton himself. He feels better than ever. He's finally had the two surgeries that needed to take place, and he's 100%. So maybe that has something to do with Keaton finishing top five in all the Big 12 quarterbacks. If healthy and in the right offense, he's not in the top kind of seven of the league, that's a real disappointment. I I think we expect him to be 
one of the top seven quarterbacks. Yes, in the I feel like he has to be one of the top seven if BYU is going to win seven regular season games. Totally. Totally. I don't see how BYU does that with him. Yeah, for me. It's Quinn Ewers, though. That's why I put him at the top. Yeah, he's super talented. But beware the overration of Texas. Texas is back! Overration of Texas. <laughs> uh, topic two. Barry Trammell, columnist for the Oklahoman. We'll talk to him in a moment. Wrote an article ranking the quarterback situations in the Big 12. He has BYU as the third best quarterback situation in okay. the conference. What do you think of that behind Kansas and Oklahoma? See, I like that. I feel like that's leaning on the high side. Uh, and, but it's a, it, it is. It's a quarterback room conversation. It's not just about Keaton Slovis, although I feel like the, your backup is. the starter should probably figure into like 75 or 80% of this equation. If, if not higher. We'll talk again to Barry and ask him about this. I'd probably put BYU around number five or number six. I like Keaton Slovis' experience, and I like what BYU has behind him. BYU has a couple of guys. Retzloff, who was a number one highly touted JUCO quarterback out of California, but you also have Kate Finnegan, who has started at least a few Power 5 games, right? Like, was it just the one G- against G- BYU? G5 Sorry, games, okay, yeah. sorry. G5 games, Division One games, what I'm getting at, FBS games. So I, I like BYU's quarterback, but I'd probably put it number five or number six overall. I feel like this is a little bit too high. <laughs> I have no reference points for the backups at any school outside of Texas, where we know Arch Manning is there. Yeah, but Texas is <laughs> lower than BYU know. in this list. I know, which feels weird given uh, the talent there. I don't really know in that one. Um, if you're just talking starters, that's one thing. But, like, listen, there are starters who they don't even know what they're going to do. Like, Chandler Morris at TCU, they're like, well, you were the guy going into last year, but we don't really know. And maybe he was at SMU before, um, I, I think, with Sonny yes. Dykes, if I yep. recall. But, yeah, there are other guys like uh, Emory Jones' time at Cincinnati, you know. Some time last year, I think, but it's like Garrett Green at West Virginia. You know, I don't know who's your back. I don't really know. If Barry tells us number three, he knows the league better than we do. We're getting to know this league better. We're excited to yes. be a part of Big 12 football media days and get to know everybody and, and plug into the league. I don't know, bro. Like, uh, Jake Retzloff, we hope, is good. Also, I hope Jake doesn't play because Keaton Slovis is the starter and he Healthy plays the whole and time. rolling. Like, Jake, um, but Jake's credentials certainly is what he was rated by ESPN as the number one JUCO quarterback, and his numbers were really good, and his dual threat ability. He's got a unique kind of arm angle on, on uh, where he throws the ball. Like sometimes it's almost like underhand um, when he when he rolls to his right. We'll, we'll see what Retzloff is. Uh, I hope to. You see kind of the the slot from the the side there. Um, we'll see what Retzloff is. I hope to not know a ton about Jake Retzloff. I'm not talking off the field. We're getting to know him as a reformed Jewish quarterback, which is cool. Let's like, get to know him next year, you're saying? Well. <laughs> yes. And, and now, like, BYU for sure is going to be try and bring in another high-profile transfer um, to be the next guy after Keaton Slovis. Like, that's just going to happen. And that quarterback room needs to be really competitive. Like, if, if Cade Fennigan's your third and he has experience starting – Hey, that's rare for a third-string quarterback. The shocker here for me is Oklahoma State in Barry Trammell's list at number 13. Mm. So BYU number Spencer three. Spencer Saunders leaving was yes, a big deal. BYU number yeah. three was Slovis, Retzloff, Fennigan, and now Nick Billups. Oklahoma State at number 13. So I, I get mixed signals here because I'm like, typically if your quarterback situation is really good, your teams should feel good about you know their chances to win most games. But BYU is being slated at like six wins, and they're favored in only, what, three of the games, according to ESPN's Football Power Index? Like, BYU's favored in three games? There's a lot of pick-ems. 
So if the quarterback situation truly is like a top three or top five for BYU, and well, BYU's think- only favored in three games, like – should we find should should it come like is it a regression to the mean between those about, two? Is it about the defense for BYU being unproven there? Also, I think uh, you know we'll ask Barry, but I think he likes Jake Retzloff a lot. Clearly, like, well, he does. Think, well, clearly he likes Slovis. It if the percentage needs to be really high of what that means. Mm. Again, if Keaton Slovis just approximates 2019 version of himself that led the country in completion percentage and had had uh, you know 3,500. Uh, passing yards, 30 touchdowns, nine picks. That guy is one of the best players in the league. I'm glad he's got Cody Epps back. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> he's got a number of key receivers I, yeah, back. We like the top four guys. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Joseph Lenardi released his latest bracketology as BYU still in the next four out, aka eighth out. Are you buying BYU as a bubble team? Are you liking this? I'm liking it. I don't know that I'm quite buying it just yet, but then again, Joe Lenardi tends to be right more often than he is not. And in May? <laughs> I, I have no reference for how good he is in May. I'm just, in March, I, yes. I trust Joe. I, I put my trust in him, and I think I trust the fact that he knows what we know, that BYU is going into a conference that is going to significantly help their net rating. You pick up a few more key wins, which BYU has a tendency to do in the Marriott Center. Yeah, I, I'm starting to buy BYU as a bubble team more and more based on the Big 12 inclusion. It mattereth not in uh, May, but it's fun. And we think the BYU is better than they were last year. So yeah. hopefully BYU in March is this. I hope this is the highest BYU gets in the Rectology. <laughs> That's my hope. In May? It just gets worse from At May. any point. Yeah. It's I'm fun like, to have yeah. them in. Sure, why not? Why not? Hey, uh, college basketball has been on the sidelines for a little bit, but the NBA in the midst of some heated playoffs. Last night, Lonnie Walker the fourth, The greatest player in NBA history. Yes, had a Dion Waiters quarter. Okay, just got irrational red hot. 15 points off the bench for the Lakers, all in the fourth quarter. Amazing. This got us thinking, what's the best BYU bench performance ever in any sport? Watched in person, 2010 NCAA tournament, first round versus Florida. Michael Lloyd Jr. off the bench had 26. He was incredible. Jim ran 37. That was that was fun. That was fun. Michael Lloyd Jr.'s was the most random. It was like, what, what? was that? That was huh? great. That was incredible. Uh, for me, Riley Nelson was, in 2011 awesome. off the bench, taking over for Jake Heaps. Brandon Doman makes the switch mid-game. He comes in and leads a dramatic comeback victory over his former team, Utah State. That was an incredible bench flowing. performance. Tanner Mangum, Nebraska, 2015 is a good one as well. That was the yes. helmets too big. Like Darth Mangum was out there throwing bombs. <laughs> Fox College Football asked this question yesterday on Twitter. Who's your favorite all-time player from your rival team? So who's your favorite you? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard for me not to say Charlie Brewer in this moment. (laughs) Send him a gift basket for helping on the street. Like, uh, that's fun. But it's Eric Weddle. 
Eric Weddle is you got in, to know him incredible. with incredible charges, right? Yes. He like Boston. he's just a good person. And you know, when Utah was having their way with BYU, he would rib me consistently whenever I would make my way down to a Chargers game. And he should have. Um, but yeah, it, it's him. If not, maybe Chris Burgess. I love Burge. Burge is awesome. Yeah. I know he started at Duke, played at Utah, was coaching at BYU, and now he's coaching at Utah again. Like Chris Burgess is one of my favorite Utes. Mine's Harvey Longy and Austin Lee. Because they transferred over? <laughs> a shout out to my guy Silver Siliaga, Super Bowl champ with the Utes, who went to Copper Hill. So there you go. Okay, that's, that's a nice one. That's fun. Uh, how about this? Um, Sports Illustrated's Pat Forty wrote an article about how Jim Harbaugh <laughs> mows his own grass. Okay. Coach, Multi he likes his yard work. Yep. He says, quote, mowing the lawn is one of the great feelings I have in life, end quote. <laughs> Harbaugh also wants to know why Youth of America aren't out there with him cutting the grass. Jeremy, are you a cut-your-own-grass guy? I am. Uh, in fact, I will I will trim an edge typically, and sometimes my wife will do the mowing. Oh, okay. And we'll combine to kind of cut that time in half. Okay. If uh, things aren't, you know, uh, if, if things are busy, I'll do all of it, whatever. But I have yet to pay someone to cut my grass. I am 100% a cut-my-own-grass guy. I enjoy it. Yeah. It's fun. It's, I'm with Jim. It's a little bit of a break. Like, it's, it's good thinking time as, a, you know, I cut the grass. Throw a podcast in. I take great pride in the old, like how straight the lines are, and I step back and look at it. And this probably stems from like working in the yard so much with my father Kent. Like it, it ties me to him. And in fact, I had my mom send me a candle when I was in Korea, when I was in the concrete jungle, that just smelled like fresh cut grass. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that smell so much. So like, yeah, this resonates. I'm with you, Jim. I'm I, with Coach Harbaugh. Listen, if I made as much money as Jim Harbaugh, though, I would definitely consider paying someone. <laughs> it, that would be fun. I want to make my grass look like a baseball field. That's probably, what, that's probably, what I want. Baseball. I do not have time to do that. <laughs> this is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. What a night, what a day. This is What's Trending, and we have a loaded topic today. Yeah. We'll set it up this way. Currently, odds makers, and there are several here, have BYU's win total for the 2023 college football season, Dave, at an average of five wins. This includes DraftKings, who has the highest odds of five and a half wins for the Cougars. FanDuel has set the over-under with the lowest at four and a half for BYU, while Caesars Sportsbook has BYU at an even five wins. With that in mind, that would mean BYU will be considered, yes, as an underdog in most of the Cougars' contests this season. In fact, Dave, ESPN's Football Power Index has BYU favored in only three games. I know some of you are aware of this. We're just driving the point home even harder today. BYU is favored against Sam Houston State, Southern Utah, and Cincinnati. That's it. However, since 2018, BYU has relished in the role of underdog, which takes us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. You're going to love this, Dave. BYU football is one of just four FBS teams over the last five seasons to have an overall winning record as an underdog. The Cougars have played 18 games in that five-year span as an underdog and won 10 of them. 10 and 8 is pretty good. So, 
all of that information now floating around your mind. Do we view the five projected wins by these three notable sports books in 2023 as kind of an insult because BYU has been a good as an underdog? Or is this just an opportunity again to overachieve in the underdog role? You know, this is a deep question. Uh, and, and there's so many angles you can take. I've been in the back rooms of the sports books and had the experts show me how they come up with their lines, how they come up with their odds. They factor in everything. The, the thing they can't factor in is human will, right? And that's why you have upsets. Um, they're so good at what they do. So when you look at these numbers and you say, okay, five, they picked BYU to win five games. Um, we were talking about six or a seven and five season would be phenomenal. Going to a bowl game, a six and six season would get you to the Jesus Bowl and a $6 million payout, which is the most BYU's ever gotten for a bowl game. Okay, well, that's just one more than the Vegas five. Four and a half, that seems to be a little low. So when you factor that in, they're not here where we are. They're not at practice where we are. They don't know the guys like we do. Yeah. Um, whether that means we have blue goggles on, sometimes we do. Um, but we also know his capability, his capability, what this combination could do. That I think there's a gulf between reality and Vegas. And sometimes reality's in Vegas and the lack of reality's outside of Vegas, depending on, <laughs> on how we... But I, I, I think it's a great opportunity to overachieve. The, the rest of the country doesn't know what, what we know. And BYU's been an independent, so most of the country hasn't even cared. Yeah. So when you factor in how good are they going to be in the Big 12 as a P5, I think immediately you go, not as good as the current P5 members in that conference, which puts them right down between what? 10 and 14. Sure. 10th and, and 14th four, place, yeah. In that four and a half to five win scenario. So they're not way off, but we're hoping for better. I was legitimately bothered when I saw the four and a half and five line come out. I just thought, how, how can Vegas or DraftKings or FanDuel or whoever, knowing what BYU has done as an independent, yeah. it's not like BYU's been playing a predominantly G5 schedule, more often than not, Dave, they're playing more Power 5 teams Especially than not over the last years. few years. Yeah. And even the G5s that BYU has scheduled are, in often cases, Power 5 equivalents. Like, they play high-level group of five opponents. Boise State and Liberty last year were good teams. So I thought, why would they put BYU at 4.5? But then I started to think, okay... If I was totally outside and not an insider like we are and in the nitty-gritty and all the details here, I would look at, okay, well, they lost their starting quarterback who was an NFL draft pick. Right. You're bringing in Keaton Slovis who has not had anything close to what he did as a freshman, didn't look good at Pitt. BYU needs a running back. You lost Puka. You lose Puka Nakua. You lost another starting left tackle to the NFL draft. And BYU's defense was not good. Right. Statistically speaking, so why, if I am looking at those factors, would I ever think, yeah, BYU is all of a sudden going to a Power 5 conference and they're going to win a bunch of games? What Vegas doesn't do is they said that they don't go, you know, Justin Enna is really going to inspire those linebackers <laughs> because they brought him in as part of this new group. They're just looking at what BYU did last year with defense. You're right. And they weren't very good on defense. So why would they assume they're going, oh, they made some changes, but... We're going off the numbers we know. Yes. And maybe they looked at it and they said, well, they're not playing very many Pac-12 teams, so we're going to lower their <laughs> expectation for wins because we don't have any on the schedule this year. Maybe that's something. If I were a betting man, and I am not, 
I would go, I would find DraftKings and Fan, FanDuel set it at four and a half wins. I am buy, buy, buy all day on that right now. That feels like easy money, and I am not suggesting that you do that. But the principle is there. I feel like that's way too low because of what we know, Dave. Yeah. These odds makers are trying to handle 131 Division I FBS college football teams. BYU is just one of them. So, I mean, they're, they are working through a lot of different material there, and that is, that's difficult. you got to start somewhere. And especially if you're going into the Big 12, and they're going to give Texas so many wins and Oklahoma so many wins and Oklahoma State. The, the wins have to come from other teams in the Big 12. So they can't give all these wins to these teams in the Big 12 and then go, I think BYU is going to win seven or eight. The, they aren't there because you've already projected Texas Tech to come to Provo and beat BYU, Oklahoma to come here and beat yeah. BYU. So, you know, in a, in a tough league, if these guys are going to be awesome, it's yeah. at the expense of these guys. So traditionally, BYU wins about 40 to 42% of their Power 5 games coming into this season. And that has been on an uptick over the past few years through 2021, especially when BYU had their 5-0 and run through the Pac-12 and they were 6-1. and That swung the metric in BYU's favor against Power 5 competition a little bit. So I'm not going to go all in on that outlier but I mean traditionally BYU wins 40% of the power five games so if they're favored against Southern Utah and Sam Houston State and they have nine power five sorry 10 power five games remaining after that uh, Dave what's 40% it's four out of 10 right that's going to take BYU to six wins BYU is going to figure out a way to win at least six games I, I am going with the general averages in fact, I think it's going to be one more than that. I went to 7-5, and five, and I'm going back to our stat of the day. BYU, as an underdog, they're going to be an underdog in nine games. They have a winning record as an underdog over the past five seasons combined. They're going to be an underdog a lot this year. If they could just go 500 as an underdog or maybe, yeah, even 500, that, that puts you probably at 5-5. Uh, five and five. And now you're at 7-5 and five overall if you take care of business in your first two games. And you're having a great time. Vegas believes BYU will be 3-2, and two, right, through the first five. Yes. Considering their favorites in those first two games yep. and Cincinnati. So 3-2 and two heading into October and November. Yeah. And BYU's got to scratch out three wins to get to six and get bowl eligible. And, and they are and suggesting they are saying, that it might be a win and a half or yeah. two wins out of the final seven games. Right. Two and five. And, and to their credit and research, BYU's never run the gauntlet in this kind of schedule. Right. So they're going, okay, three and two after uh, Sam Houston and uh, Cincinnati and uh, Southern Utah, and then a loss, they would believe, to Kansas um, and Arkansas. And then all of a sudden they're going, well, they've never even played the kind of schedule that is the rest of the way. And when you're an underdog, it seems like underdogs rise up. BYU rose up and beat Miami. We're going to talk to Max Hall. They rose up and beat Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. um, that's the magic of football. But when you're the underdog every week, wh where is the mental strain of we can't rise? It can't be the Super Bowl every week. We got guys banged up, and and this is that. Maybe Vegas is looking at that, going, "Hey, look, the run they're going to have to make uh, as an underdog every week." Maybe they can't do it more than three times. Sure. Uh, and you know what? We're going to see because there's no track record here. Uh, even in that run of her Pac-12 teams, there were breaks in between. Uh, it wasn't, you know, we've never played 10 straight P5s. 
Um, we're all interested in seeing how that goes. 100%. Because that's going to be the trend moving forward. 10 P5s, especially if, if Utah stays on the schedule. Yes. So it'll be a learning experience for Vegas and for BYU to go, huh, all right, what is this actually going to be like? Well, we brought up the football power index. And, yes, BYU is only favored in three games. That's a computer metric. That has nothing to do with just with people picking BYU. That's just a straight formula. And the formula says BYU is favored in only three of the nine games. But a lot of those are like toss-up games. So, I mean, it might be like 52% chance yeah. that Iowa State wins or 54% chance that Kansas wins. I mean, they're really close. We right? like those close odds to go to BYU, especially if they're at home. You know, if it's a close 50-50 type game, the home team should win. In yes, theory. yes. I mean, you look at these numbers, and uh, Kansas, yeah, 51.5% chance to win that game. That, what does that's that a, mean? That's a coin flip, that's essentially. That's Keanu Hill open in the end zone in the fourth quarter. Cincinnati is a coin flip for BYU at home. You look at Iowa State in November, 53.6% chance to say the Cyclones come into Lavelle Edwards Stadium and win that game. That's another coin flip game. Can BYU go on the road to Morgantown against a West Virginia team that is projected to be not great and figure out a way to win in the East Coast? Yeah. We haven't been great on the East Coast, but BYU has had, hasn't had a team like this. This is a P5 team moving forward. Maybe the the, could it be the best BYU's had uh, in a long, long time? On paper, it looks pretty good. Yeah. But Aiden Robbins still has to run like a madman. Got to prove Cody these. Epps still has to get open in the slot. What is Keaton Slovis? And Slovis has to be good. But, and it, but if they are, then I like their chances in that matchup. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Cougar Whip Round presented by Marist, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. BYU football announced the signing of Weber State transfer offensive lineman Jake Eichhorn yesterday. Does the offensive line have the best depth of any position? Group? Yes. Tell me otherwise. I, is, is there a different group that has more depth right now than the offensive line? I feel like they have 10 no. guys yeah. that have big game experience. Albeit at different levels, but still, guys with a lot of experience. Yeah, and the transfer portal for the offensive line was big time. They brought in a bunch of dudes. You look at Miley, Fitzgerald, Etienne, Lapuahu, Eichhorn. All have played a other, bunch of games. Yes, um, they know what they're doing. So yeah, excited about that group. Certainly have a lot of uh, big shoes to fill after last year's line, which I think might have been the best in BYU history. It was amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I would love for another group to compete with the offensive line, specifically the wide receivers. <laughs> Can you add a if, piece if or two they there? add another piece, or debatably, yeah. relatively speaking, given now, that you only have there. like three on the field, not five yep. at the time. Yeah. Now they're getting there. Mike Oresco, friend of the program, been on the show multiple times, commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, penned a 2,587-word open letter asking to absolve the Power Five moniker to which Brett McMurphy responded with a tweet. He's already doing it by calling the Big Ten and the SEC the Power Two, the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12 the Middle Three, and the other five conferences the Group of Five. Would you be okay if the Big 12 was part of the Middle Three? Yes, the Big 12 is playing for, uh, you know, the third place, but no. Now that we just got into a Power Five, we're sticking with Power Five. I'm sorry, Mike Oresco. They actually put P6 stickers on the American helmets the last two years. 
So they are all about kind of being involved there. Well, you lost a couple of teams there that were helping you in that Your case. Your three best. Yeah, so no, Power Five it is. We just got in, we ain't changing the name of this club. Whatever, if Brett McMurphy wants to jokingly call BYU part of the middle three, I think it's hilarious, fine. The, but the Power Five moniker is not going anywhere. The middle three. Like again, this is another agenda thing. Like, he's drawing attention to it, I understand sure. it. Sure. But the P6 thing didn't work and getting rid of Power Five is also not gonna work. P6 in basketball, he includes Big East. Andrew uh, Marchand reported yesterday, ESPN became a leading candidate to be the new home of the Pat McAfee show for the brand. This led to a tweet from Bearcat Matt that said, Pat is going to make more money than the Pac-12. <laughs> Do you agree? No. <laughs> Will Pat individually make more than a school? Yes. The answer is yes. Yes. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Per, per year? He'll probably make as much as four schools will combined. Hit, will Pat per McAfee's year. per year be equal to a Pac-12 school's TV deal? Wow. <laughs> I can't believe we're discussing this. Jeremy, at this point... I just have kind of stopped caring about the Pac-12 media. I don't care deal. about the Pac-12 media. We got deal. so overwhelmed by it, and it was so if, saturated. Well, as it pertains to expansion with the Big 12, that's why we care. Because if it doesn't work out well, then there could be an exodus. It's all about where you're seeing. They, they might get as much per school as the Big 12, but where are you seeing? I look forward to the doubleheader of The Flash and then uh, Colorado On versus the CW? Oregon State. On the CW. Let's go. Is that what it's still called? Let's go. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> or has that changed too? I, I think so. Brandon Marcello of 24-7 Sports reports the Big 12 is expand or is ex exploring rather new branding possibilities and perhaps a name change if the league does expand to 14 or 16 teams once Texas and Oklahoma leave. If that happens, what would you propose as the new name for the Big 12 Conference? Uh, the MWAC, the Midwest Athletic Conference. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, I hope this doesn't happen, honestly. I, I like the, the history there. It's all good. I don't need a new name, per se. There, but it needs to be numberless, because that can fluctuate, right? Like, the Big Ten has 14 teams. But the Big Ten is such a strong brand, it doesn't matter. There are only two that make sense to me. And it would require, because this is based on expansion, the Big 12 to go and get somebody on the West Coast, whether that's San Diego State, Gonzaga, or... The United States of America Conference. It's the National Conference, which I think would be perfect because you are nationwide, so you're the National your Conference, side. or you're the United Conference. Let's go. But what if they aren't united in spirit, Spence? Then what? Uh, college Football Home tweeted... They're united that, in money for at least four years, I can tell you that. College Football uh, Home tweeted that BYU-Utah isn't close to the top rivalry in college football. Oklahoma State fan Calpoke underscore U on Twitter tweeted this response. Want to know how toxic this rivalry is? It made Big 12 Twitter and Pac-12 Twitter go to war with each other. <laughs> that isn't the most bitter, toxic, and vitriolic rivalry. I don't know what is. Do you agree? It's not the most bitter rivalry in college football. Like, when there's a documentary made about some dude cutting down a beloved tree, like illegally Auburn poisoning and Alabama, it. Illegally poisoning, yeah, yeah. Destroying that, like, that is bitter, toxic, and vitriolic. Yeah, yeah BYU Utah is toxic for sure, but it's not the most. And Ohio State, Michigan, if you haven't experienced that game or been around it, come on, like, that, that is up there with Alabama and Auburn. The unique angle of BYU-Utah is that there's a religious involvement. That's what makes it it's unique. It's true. It, yep. For me, it's top, it's, it's top five, top six in the country. It's top one in my heart. 
but yeah, nationally, yeah, it's, it's unique among its peers because of the religious aspect. BYU football has posted a series of photos and videos, Jerem, of plays from last season's South Florida game specifically asking the question, what's better, the picture or the shot, as in the camera video role? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's show you Puka Nakua's opening touchdown run on the okay. first play from scrimmage. What do you like better, the picture or the shot? I'm waiting until it kind of runs in. I'm going with the I'm going with the shot because it yes. came right into camera. It yes. wasn't the other side. It the, was right into camera. The Buccaneers pirate ship is in the background, so you know that they're in an NFL stadium, and it, it comes into view later. Like I didn't even notice that the first time. I'm just staring at Puka. The, then you see the big screen behind him. Yeah, Raymond James. For me, yeah, it, yeah, it's cool. easily the shot. Okay, number two, Chris Brooks with his long and first BYU rushing touchdown. Do you like the picture? Or also the shot running right into camera. I'm going video because right into camera. The pictures are excellent as well. Yeah. For well, me, both this are one, awesome. With the salute, the frame, the defender behind him, I'm actually taking the picture in this one. I think that's a really cool salute picture that gives it the edge. See, left handed? I don't think I so. I would rarely throw up a left handed salute, you know what I mean? <laughs> but in the moment. He's got the five points of contact with the football in the right arm, so I he know. only had the left arm available. I wonder if he's left handed. Because he could could have carried it in the other one. No one was by him. It's all good. Former BYU offensive lineman Keanu Saliapanga was recently included in an Instagram post as rapper NBA Youngboy's barber. Uh-huh. In the picture, Keanu is cutting the rapper's hair in his driveway. Should we be getting haircuts in our driveway? Is that what we learned from Youngboy? I don't want to get a haircut in my driveway. But I want, to make it, I want to make enough money to where I can have it. Well, the real reason he might be doing that is because he's on house arrest and he has limited visitor ability in his house it just wants to, yeah okay that yeah, might that, be that why could which be by why. the way he has mentioned young boy that he is going to join the church of yes. jesus christ of latter -day so he's going to be baptized yeah which is pretty cool pretty wild is he the instantly the greatest rapper in church history yeah well Suddenly? once he has capability to uh you know have some freedom and move again like we got to get him to a BYU game yes we do we need nba young boy and dance Never with cosmo anyone <laughs> <laughs> tell look out we got a young boy now let's, let's go, go. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. What's Trending presented by Tim Daly Ford, part of the Tim Daly Auto Group serving Utah since 1968. Multiple reports have surfaced that BYU guard Tanner Toulson has entered the transfer portal. We brought it up in headlines. That means BYU's roster total now has exactly 13 scholarship players, which there are 13 scholarships available. So, Jerem, what do you make of this news with Tanner Toulson moving out and BYU's current roster as we think they're still looking in the portal? What else has to happen at this point? Yeah, always a bummer to uh, you know lose a legacy kid like Tanner. Uh, good dude, back from a mission, kind of got hurt last year, was buried in the lineup, um, and uh, he'll seek another opportunity elsewhere um, after playing in six games. He, he was hoping to get last year back. Perhaps he still will. Best of luck to uh, Tanner Toulson. He may have a fourth year if he gets the year back. We'll see. Um, as for the roster, um, so, yeah, you, we said, hey, they're over one. They're over one. Now they're, now they're at the right number, right? Uh, 13. That doesn't mean they're not going to go get somebody either. And it'll be interesting to see um, if someone else answer, uh, goes to the portal, should they be going that direction? Because while I said it closes, it never actually closes. It's just 
you would have to sit out next year if you're not a grad transfer. Um, there's a certain timing associated with when you enter the portal. You can always exit the portal. Yes, just um, do so with penalties. You can always enter the portal, but you might have to sit out. So that day is tomorrow, Friday, by the way, for women's hoops. So BYU's got two point guards, eight wings, and eight three wings. bigs. So 10 of the 13 are backcourt players. I think that number's too high, Spence. I, I, I think the ideal ratio would be eight backcourt, five frontcourt. I don't think is going to get to five front court this year. I think it's going to be a um, ideally you get to a 9-4 split there. So I think BYU needs another big. Um, let's not go through what we did two years ago when Richard Harward and Gavin Baxter went down, and then suddenly you're asking Fus and Atiki to be thrust into the spotlight as freshmen. True freshmen, ideally. No less. Now it developed Fus, sure, um, and Dallin Hall last year got thrown in, developed him, but you don't want that. Like that's not. This, if you have to get to that, sure. But I would like BYU to get one more big, but that would mean one wing is off Scali at that point. So I'm not going to project who I think that is. I think that would be unfair to that individual. But I, I think BYU's got a lot of experience, which is the good news. I think they are a little heavy in the, in the uh, backcourt department. But the experience is awesome because you've only got two dudes who are going to run out after a year uh, with Spencer Johnson and uh, Quez Glover. Uh, but everyone else returns in theory. Um, you only have a couple of freshmen and sophomores. You have four newcomers, as we mentioned, Quez Glover, Dawson Baker, uh, Ali Khalifa, and then Jake Wallin's back from a mission to Lithuania. So it, it's a group that is improved. This is a better talent roster than last year. Um, by how much, I'm not sure, but I like the experience. I like the talent. I like the diversity of skill. Yeah. I love what uh, Khalifa brings in terms of, in terms of a big who can pass and shoot. I like Glover as kind of a pure point. Um, I like Dawson Baker's ability late in the shot clock, like we've talked about. So I love the uh, I love the group BYU's got. I still think there's probably one more piece needed, similar to these three that BYU's brought in, before we can more comfortably go into the like, okay, they, they're really going to challenge for a um, a spot in the NCAA tournament. Because listen, it's hard to make the tourney. It really is. And then of course in the Big 12, the pros and cons are the challenge. The the schedule is so tough that it's hard to win as many games as maybe we're used to. Yes. But you have a strength of schedule that the committee will respect uh, in a way where if you can be uh, perhaps the seventh or eighth best team in the Big 12, you've got a, a, a really good shot of being in the hunt at the end, which is what we're hoping for. We should probably do ourselves a favor and prepare for status quo at this point. It, I mean, I know that there's still time left for the coaches to go out and find somebody else, but options are dwindling for sure. And I don't know that I'm of the opinion of, well, let's just go get whatever size is out there just so that we can have more size. And I'm not, I'm not that either. I think you need to bring in someone that makes sense. You don't just get a body to get a body. Right, and it might, be, to tough, some it degree, might be tougher to find somebody that makes sense at this point. But to some degree, I think walking in with only three bigs is tough. Sure. I BYU, don't, I don't BYU argue with that, that at last all. Year. You get two fouls on a guy. You only have the two guys. You get an injury. Luckily, BYU was pretty healthy last year. Listen, I, I do think BYU needs another big. BYU may have to ask Noah Waterman when bigs get in foul trouble to come in with his size and play a different role and be a little bit more physical and maybe try and bulk up and do something different if they cannot find somebody. Offensively, I don't agree with that, but defensively, sure. Yeah, yeah. and that's what I'm saying. Defensive-minded yeah. approach here. Right. They, they may be forced into a scenario where it's like, look, you're 6'11". We need you to go in there and, and be physical. And we're in foul trouble. AK, you need to rebound and defend. 
And if you stretch the floor with the three? Great. Oh, awesome, because that's what you do on them. Yes. Yeah. But we, we should probably prepare for the worst, which I think is the status quo as far as a front court goes. If BYU doesn't find somebody else, then... All right, here we are. This is what BYU the, is going the into. The worst the Big would be someone jumps in the portal tonight we didn't expect. That would be the worst, right? Like a Cody Epps, but he doesn't come back kind of deal. Um, yeah, I feel very comfortable with this roster. I'm pleased. I'm excited. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I just think to really go into I get it. the more, Big more 12, big man depth. I would just like Foos to have a backup at the I'm four. I'm with you. I think BYU has two fives, obviously, in Khalifa and Atiki. I love Atiki as the backup, a guy who's still getting experience kind of newer to basketball, like seventh or eighth year playing. Um, him as the backup, can defend, can rebound. There's some games where he gets uh, rebounds off the glass and he's laying it in, which is awesome. But, yeah, one more piece there just in case you have an injury. So I'm with you. Like, I feel like BYU needs a big man. But, again, we're getting down to the 11th hour here. In terms of just available players that are good sure. and make sense, rather than just going and getting some size and hoping it works out, and then you're taking a scholarship away potentially from somebody else. If there's a walk-on who's good enough as the backup four to have a physical presence there, that would work too. Sure. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be that picky, but I don't want to have what we had two years ago, which was, oh, shoot. Injuries, and now two injuries forced and now into a tough scenario. Yes, and then that tough scenario does not include the likes of Pacific and Pepperdine and so on. It is... Kansas State, Baylor, Houston, and so on. And well, so and if, if BYU goes and gets another big, now we're talking about taking somebody else's scholarship away. And I'm hoping – we've seen in the past some incredible athletes say, okay, I'll give up my scholarship this year and figure it out if you can promise me that I'll get it back again. I don't know that there are any promises that can be made. And BYU's going into the Big 12, so how they offer scholarships has changed Yeah, you now. committed the entirety of their it, eligibility. This is, this is tough. You can always say, listen, we don't have a spot for you. You can just stay in school, but you won't be on – you'll be on Scully, but you won't be playing basketball. For There's that team. as well. You're essentially cut. There's that as well. It's, Name, yeah. image, likeness, money It's an uncomfortable conversation, but as much as we want to act like um, this is, you know, it's a business. Like, this is a team. They're out there to win. Of course, they want to do everybody as well as they can. But if they don't see a spot for a guy, they, they're doing them a service by saying, listen, unfortunately, we're going to cut you. And if you want to enter the portal, that's up to you. You know, that, that happened. Okay, topic two. Bractologist Joe Lenardi has BYU on the bubble three of the last four weeks as the eighth team out, kind of the last team mentioned. Are you buying BYU as a bubble team at this point? Yes, because BYU is playing in the Big 12. Their net ranking. The Big 12 has thrust them into that. Yes, their net ranking is going to be so significantly improved. If you couple that with just a few big-time wins, which BYU will do, that's going to happen because Big 12 teams, in large part, have never played in the Marriott Center. They don't know exactly what they're walking into. They played at Kansas like a big-time environment and a bunch, right? But BYU is a different Center beast. Is fun and unique. It's a different beast. Yep. Nineteen it's a new venue, thousands, a little more. New eye lines. You got to get new. I mean, you got to you got to get used deal. to some things yeah. that you have not dealt with before. The Rock will bring it. And while BYU will not be favored on paper, they just they're going to win a couple of these games. I mean, heck, this year BYU probably should have at least won one of the games against Gonzaga and St. Mary's. With a team that didn't go to the NIT, we yeah. feel like BYU's better. Those type of quality teams are going to come into the Marriott Center for the first time in large part, and BYU's going to teach some hard lessons to these teams. is also going to go on the road a lot and learn some very hard lessons. Sure. But their net ranking will be so improved because of conference affiliation 
that if you're 17 and 14 going into the Big 12 tournament and you win a game and you're 18 and 14, then you lose, you finish 18 and 15 having played two games in Kansas City and you think, man, you're only three games over 500. Doesn't matter. You're playing in the top conference in America. Let's say you're the eighth place team. And it team. still will be with the four that come in because Houston adds a ton. You say that you're the eighth place team. Okay, remember, the Big 12 only had 10 teams last year. Now you got 14. So if you're eighth or ninth in a bigger expanded conference, greater opportunity for perhaps maybe to go and get another team into the tournament compared to just the seven that they had this year out of 10. I mean, I mean, 70% of the conference in the tournament is crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. Right? So if they get eight or nine in, BYU could be that eighth place or ninth place team. You go six and 12 in conference. And, you, and like I said, you win a game in Kansas City and you're right there. So yes, I am buying BYU as a bubble team. I'm not buying the Cougars as an NCAA tournament team right now, but I feel like they will be in the mix, at least on the bubble. I think Lenardi's on to something just on how the, the game is set up. It's fun to see it in May. I don't care about bracketology in May. Um, I start to care once we kind of get into the season, then it's kind of in flux. And even then, it's early, right? But I am excited about the prospect of what this group can become. Because, yes, they did not make the NIT last year. But we had a similar renaissance um, in 18-19 with the team that didn't make the NIT. And the next year, they were going to be a six seed before COVID hit. And it was development internally of the existing players. It was the addition of some portal pieces, uh, no notably Jake Toulson. It was people who felt like they had something to prove. And I think BYU has a team that is hungry and feel, uh, feels like it has something to sure. prove. And for the first time in BYU history, is not going to fight the, we have to win this game no, on the road. We're always supposed to win it. There may not be a game that BYU is favored in on the road in league. Like all of the wins will be beneficial every single time. There were detrimental wins in the past sometime yes. where BYU didn't win by enough maybe on the road. You know what I mean? To the committee at, against a bad team in, say, the WCC. BYU will never have that kind of loss again. They will only have beneficial wins. And it's can you win enough? That is the question for BYU in the Big 12. I'm excited to see this group together. I think BYU has increased the talent. I think they're hungry, and now they have an opportunity. That is a good recipe. Jim, the last place team in the Big 12 last year was Oklahoma. They went 15 and 17. Their net ranking was 70. Okay? They're the yeah. last place team. BYU should be a top 50 net team. Texas Tech. Walking into selection Sunday. Was the second worst team, 16 and 16. They were 62. And then Oklahoma State was the eighth best and team. And they were the first team out of the tournament, by the way. They were 42 in the net rankings at 20 and 16. Yeah. So they did not they make were, the tourney. They were on the bubble. And that's what we're talking about. It's like, it does scare me that they had 20 wins and didn't get in. But uh, depends what those wins are, right? Absolutely, yeah. it does. All right. Our Nevada question. had a better record against like top 50 teams. Well, yeah, it was like a weird Didn't work out well right. for Nevada once they got to the first four. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYU men's basketball assistant coach Cahill Fennell, who is back in Studio B. Coach, we mentioned it before the break. You've had a very, very busy last few months. You've been hitting the transfer portal hard. You've made three key additions. How would you explain the last two months of your life as an assistant coach <laughs> working in the transfer portal life as currently constituted? 
It's a lot. I, I think you said it really well. It's been a hectic few com a few weeks here. Uh, you know, we got a little bit of a late start, but you know, once we did, we really had to dive into it with two feet and, and make the biggest splash that we could, right? So uh, I'm really, really excited about these three guys we have bringing in. Uh, you mentioned them earlier, Ali Khalifa, uh, Dawson Baker, and Quez Glover. I mean, they're really talented. Um, they increase our talent level as a team and. Individually, I think there's there's some maturity there. There's some mental toughness there. Um, I think they're going to add a lot to our group really across the board. So I'm really excited about them. Those three each bring something that um, no individual had on the previous team, which is a nice addition. Like, okay, Ali Khalifa is a, a big who can really pass and shoot it. That was unique, right? Uh, Dawson Baker, a guy who wants the ball at the end of the shot clock, gets to the free throw line. That was, that was more unique as well. And then Quez Glover, a guy who really quick off the dribble. Was that uh, a specific thing you wanted or um, like, okay, we need certain skill sets or was like, we see this guy, he's interested and we can fit him into what we do? No, I think it's more of the former, right? I think Quez Glover was a perfect example. I mean, we really need somebody that can get to spots on the floor and create offense, manufacture shots for himself, manufacture shots for his teammates at that Big 12 level. Um, he can get by people. You mentioned he's really, really quick. He can get by people, get to spots on the floor. He doesn't need a ton of action to, to free himself. Um, and that's huge, whether it's end of shot clock, whether that's early offense and transition. Guys like that that can manufacture offense on their own um, is super, super valuable, especially in the Big 12. Dawson Baker is an experienced guy. He's won a lot of games at UC Irvine. Uh, he's been really well coached by Russell Turner down there. Um, and he just has this mental toughness and kind of innate self-confidence that really permeates every level of his game, right? Like taking tough shots, uh, guarding good players, uh, being physical and taking care of the basketball. Like those kind of things are, are a little bit different from what we have. Um, and he blends some of the skill sets of a few of our guys, which we're really excited about. And then Ali Khalifa, like you mentioned, there's, there's not a lot of guys like him in the country, truly. He's it's unique. Not, yeah, he is. It's not just our roster where he's unique. So um, somebody that big, that's that skilled, that can pass the basketball and make shots is a pretty cool thing. So we're fired up about those guys. Coach, let's stay with the point guard position specifically. And you talked about how Quez can manipulate a defense and how <clears throat> valuable he will be on the floor and not just creating shots for himself, but creating shots for others. But there, I have had a few people ask me, well, what does this mean for a guy like Dallin Hall, who, who was such an integral part of what BYU did last year and, and kind of burst onto the scene as a freshman? So how do you envision Quez and Dallin working together in the backcourt? Well, I think a cool thing about Quez being so different from everybody, it allows him to play with different people, right? It's not like you have to pigeonhole him with one partner in the backcourt. Uh, and as you've seen with Coach Pope in the past, whether it's Barcel and Tijon Lucas, he, I mean, he can play with two quasi-point guards. So uh, we're not afraid of that at all. Those guys are very, very different. Dallin's a big, strong, physical guard. Um, Quez is more of a jet uh, and I think the opportunity for them to play together is very real so um, but you know just like anything I think the best guys are going to play the best combinations are going to play and whatever that looks like you know if Quez is the, is the guy to, to get us going offensively and and to uh, to be the director of what we're doing on that end of the floor then that's great and if Dallin's that guy then that's great too but um, those guys have to earn their minutes and, and they have to either show that they can blend together or show that they can dominate that position on their own so um, all that remains to be seen. With Tanner Toulson in the portal, looks like you're 213 scholarships. Ten of those guys are backcourt players. Is three bigs enough to walk into the season with? I heard you guys talking about it earlier, so I guess I'll, <laughs> I'll wade into this argument. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think it depends, right? I think it depends on, on how you view certain guys. Like Jackson Robinson's played a lot of four for us. Um, you know, he's so long, he's athletic, he's adding good weight. Um, Noah Waterman ultimately is 6'11", right? So, yes. Um, he, I always say treat him like a 6'8 guy, though, <laughs> in terms of how you sort of see his game. No, that's fair. But, I, I think that's yeah. fair. and I think. But that's, you're okay with kind of a stretch four situation as the sort of second power forward in 
in those yeah, combinations. Yeah, I think both those guys fill that gotcha. role, that stretch four of, of guys that can create some mismatches at that, at that position. Um, and then Noah has added some good weight as well. I think you're going to see a different body and a different mm. frame on him this season, which is exciting. Um, and that's going to allow him to play maybe some four and five, which is great. Um, but then... You know, with the versatility of Foose, with the with the defensive versatility of Atiki, I think we're looking at, you know, three guys that are, you know, quote unquote bigs. But I think they've changed their games a little bit and I think they've they've added some some different facets of what they can provide where it makes them a little bit more versatile. So um, that allows you to spread those pieces out a little bit more. Gotcha. And at, you can create different mismatches, like you said. Yeah, exactly. That second unit. At this point, what is your approach with the remaining time in the transfer portal now that you are at 13 scholarship players for 13 positions? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think the transfer portal is so fluid and, and it's so dynamic and it's so ever-changing where it's, it's hard to say, you know, the price tomorrow isn't the price today, right? I mean, things could be completely different by the end of this afternoon. So um, as, the, as the roster changes, as the, as the portal changes, and we look for, for different things, it's hard to pin down exactly this is what we're going to have when it comes time in November, right? So um, I, I think we're, our eyes are wide open. We're, we're very much um, interested in some pieces that could help us and be impactful for us in the Big 12 and help us win games. But um, we also really like our group now. So uh, we're going to kind of play it as it comes and, and see how that works out. Certainly entering the Big 12, there's some different kind of rules and regulations relative to sort of the commitment to a player before it was like year to year. This is like, well, the Big 12 says you basically owe them a scholarship till they're done with their eligibility of that school. So have all those conversations about guys who maybe uh, don't fit in as much as previously. Um, have those conversations been had already if those guys want to jump in the portal? Because it closes tomorrow? Yeah, yes and no. I, I think we're fortunate here at BYU. Like, we don't have a lot of knuckleheads. We don't bring in a lot of guys that don't <laughs> fit our culture or don't fit our program or, or don't fit what this university is about. So we're fortunate to have guys that, you know, once they're here, they feel really comfortable in this environment and vice versa. Um, so honoring that commitment if they go elsewhere is a pretty easy thing to do. Um, but, you know, as you've seen, like, we haven't had a ton of turnover, and, and we've been fortunate to see that, and um, hopefully that continues. Cahill Finell is on BYU Sports Nation, assistant basketball coach. Jeremy and I were discussing yesterday just about how mature and old this team it's is. It's an experienced group. Majority yeah, yeah. upperclassmen and deep with experience, coach. So is it fair to say that you feel comfortable going 10 or 11 deep on a regular basis when the season begins? That's hard. I mean, Coach Pope makes those decisions, and, and uh, I'm glad he is, he is the guy to do that sometimes. But I, um, we'll see. I, I think, like I said, all those things remain to be, remain to be seen and, and have to be fleshed out and earned on the floor and earned in practice. Um, so I, I think the, the, the guys that can help us win will play. Um, I do think that there's a limit to that as far as rotations and, and how we play and how many people get involved. And um, it's going to be a war. Like th those guys that want to be in that top eight, that top nine, I mean, they have to show it and they have to show it every day. There's a consistency level to it, um, which is going to be paramount. Like you can't just be a really good player on Wednesday and not show up Thursday and Friday. You know, I mean, you have to be that guy every day in practice and every day off the floor and in the weight room and doing the right things in study hall. Um, and the guys that do that consistently are, are going to be the guys that play. So. Um, I'm not a massive fan of, of a rotation of 11 guys, but um, if, that's, if that's what's best for us, I think that's what's going to happen. Listen, watching Mark Pope uh, at Kentucky, it was like they'd roll that second five and they'd press. It's not that situation here, <laughs> but they went like 10 deep, right, with Patino, which was crazy. There are kind of eight wings on, on this team. What's that competition going to be like for playing time? Because there's a lot of talent and experience and different skills among those eight. You know, it's funny you said, so it's, it's very similar to the big man group, right? Where it's like, it depends on how you view them and it depends on the matches and it depends on the combinations where um, 
we've had conversations in our in our meeting rooms where it's like we need a wing you know what i'm saying so it's like it really depends on on how you view those guys and what kind of role you fit them into so um for us i, I think every position the competition is going to be massive right whether it's guards with dallin and quez and, and dawson and trey stewart and and whoever else wants to throw their hat in the ring but the, it's the bigs it's the wings like you said i think every spot on the floor it's going to be really really hard-earned minutes and i think that speaks to how talented this group is mm -hmm. i think that's a great problem to have i, I truly do um, there's going to be some upset guys later, and I think there's going to be some guys that are frustrated with their lack of playing time and their lack of perceived opportunity and things like that. But unfortunately, that's, that's a part of having a talented team. That's a part of having a deep team. Um, and I think that's something that we can all expect and, and get ready for. Is there a sort of willingness, perhaps, and, and maybe you have a sense of this, maybe not, of a guy who may be a little more buried on the bench, but hey, it's a Big 12 team now. There may be more attrition, who knows? versus maybe previous rosters or instances I think there's because a it's a different situation now. it is no it absolutely is and, and i think there's a possibility for that for sure i mean like it's a grind like that big 12 season is an absolute bear i mean there's a real scenario where you can go you know two texas two texas tech and have kansas at home in three games in a row you know I mean, and that's that's really really hard we're excited to see it whenever we get it right yeah <laughs> yeah from the fans perspective from the media's perspective it's awesome for us in preparation and players <laughs> You're sweating. It's just yes. so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, I love and it. And it'll be different days, too. Because, like, this schedule won't be the Thursday, Saturday. Exactly. Thing, right? There exactly. may be some Mondays I, in there. And yeah. I think that's something our fan base and you guys and everybody has to get used to. Mm -hmm. and, you know, at Louisville, we would have a game on Monday. And you'd have big Mondays and all this kind of stuff. And then turn around and play on Wednesday and Thursday. And it's crazy. It's all, you know, uh, married to the TV schedule. So I, I think for us and for our roster, um, yeah, I, I think there's a possibility for that. But I think, you know, the season's the season. I don't want to act like the Big 12 is – you know, the Eastern Conference in 1995. Like, we, we, we're there, right? Like, we, we have to be in it to Ben Gundy's win. hanging on yeah, somebody's leg. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, we, we have to, you know, enter it with the mindset of competing for championships and, and, and be in it to win it. So um, I don't want us to feel like, gosh, whatever we can do to survive. Like, that that yeah. just can't be our attitude going into this thing to be successful. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. We're talking with a former NFL quarterback and a guy who won more games as a starter than any other BYU quarterback in history. He is Max Hall, former Arizona Cardinal with us on BYU Sports Nation. Max, welcome back to the show, man. Always great to talk with you. Yeah, it's good to be on, man. Two of my favorite guys right here. Two of my favorite guys. It's a pleasure to be on with you this morning. Max, we were sure you were going to go down and win the alumni game again yeah. to go 2-0. and uh, But there was an injury just before the final drive, and, uh, and your Achilles uh, went out in the end zone there. How are you feeling after surgery? How's the comeback? I'm feeling good a bummer you know for that to happen right before that last drive and you know ty's looking over at me thinking i'm faking you know so that he has to go in on the last drive but um no it, it was a bummer it was a freak accident uh wasn't sore wasn't tight um i was kind of jogging out on the field celebrating a play a little bit and the the achilles just snapped so it's just one of those things man but um still had a great time at the game um I still want to come back. I'm already training for next year's game, getting this thing ready to go. So I'll be there. Max, one thing that we notice is even with that injury, you stayed after and signed autographs. It just seems to mean so much to you 
to be back at BYU and to be with the fans? Yeah, you know, I had a, I had experience as a kid where I tried to get a, uh, a guy's autograph and he snubbed me. And since that moment, I've never asked for another autograph, but I've always remembered that feeling. So if ever I'm in a position to, to talk to somebody or take a picture, take an autograph, whatever, I'm going to do it. You know, I feel lucky to be in that position and, and to be at that game. So I was in a lot of pain, though. Uh, ruptured Achilles is, is a tough injury. Man. So I was sitting there in a lot of pain, but. Uh, I had to give back to the fans, man. They they came a long ways to see that, so I wanted to give them some time. Max Hall, incredible stuff with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, and, man, I, I, coming off of, a, like you said, a ruptured Achilles, what's the recovery path like for you? Because you got a bunch of other stuff going on in your life, which we're going to touch on in just a moment. So what's what's the recovery path for you? Yeah. Yeah, the, the recovery's been brutal. You know, two weeks in a soft cast, I wasn't allowed to leave a recliner. Um, and I'm a pretty active guy, so that was that was tough for me to have to sit at home all day and not be able to be out and about and do the things that I normally do. Um, and then on top of that, with, with my history with pain pill addiction, I I couldn't I didn't take any pain pills, so wow. I was I was just ibuprofen and Tylenol. That was pretty much it. So first four days um, were rough, in a lot of pain, didn't sleep well, um, but I'm coming too. So I'm in a boot. I can kind of. I'm pushing around on a scooter. Shout out to Ben Criddle, by the way. Uh, hooked me up with a scooter while I was there <laughs> in Utah and, and an ice pack. And so uh, thank you, Ben Criddle, for that. Man, I still have it. I'm still using it. Hopefully here in a few more weeks I can be walking around in a boot. But it's a six to eight month uh, recovery, at least for me, because I'm not trying to play or anything else anymore. So six to eight months, I'll be back. All right. We've been discussing – win totals for BYU football, and the underdog role. And, Max, you have been in this scenario several times. You were a heavy underdog against Oklahoma. BYU banded together. You win that game. You won a bunch of games as an underdog. BYU projected to win just five this year. So what's your advice to the Cougars as you look at a five-win projection from Vegas oddsmakers and you're addressing this team? If it's me, I'm saying let the bet makers make their bets. I don't care. Whatever odds they say, whatever any preseason poll, this, that, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Why are we even looking into it? I don't care. We shouldn't be talking about how many games BYU is going to win. We should be talking about what we look like going into the season okay, and getting our team ready to go compete with all of these teams because I think we can. But I think it starts with a mindset of we're not scared of anybody. We're going to go compete. I don't care who you are, what conference you're in, you know, we're, let's go. When we step out on the field, it's go time. So I think the team's got to take that attitude um, that I don't care if we're an underdog or not. We're showing up every Saturday to give it everything we got and win as many football games as we can. When you go back to the Oklahoma game and going into that setting at uh, Dallas Cowboys Stadium in a stadium full of Oklahoma fans, except for a sliver of, of blue, uh, and you are an underdog, yeah. you don't buy into the underdog thing. But a lot of players do, and so it requires guys like you to say, follow me, we're going into battle, and just stay with me and I'll get you through it. Who on this BYU team mm. has to do that going into this season? Is it Keaton Slovis? Is it Cody Epps? Who is it? Yeah, that, that, that is a great question. And, you know, I, I don't mistake me. I, I, I love being an underdog when somebody thinks that they're just going to dominate me like I like I appreciate that so I remember going into that Oklahoma game and and they come running out of the tunnel and they got the horses and the trailer and all that stuff and I'm like 
holy cow, we're about to play Oklahoma in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, right? And it put a smile on my face. I said, how cool is this? What a great opportunity. So I hope these guys put a smile on their face, and it absolutely comes down to the quarterback. You know I'm going to say that. He's got to get it done, man. He's got to get the squad ready. He's got to get himself ready. He's got to exuberate a ton of confidence um, and, and put Cougar Nation on his back. I mean, that's what you're expected to do is the BYU quarterback. And he has a great challenge in front of him that I hope he smiles and is prepared and, and ready for that opportunity. Well, let's follow up with this, Max. And over the last five seasons, BYU, as a projected underdog by oddsmakers, has a winning record. They're one of only four teams in the entire country over the last five years to have a winning record when they're an underdog. They're 10-8. and eight. So what is it about BYU that makes them, over the last five years specifically, such a good team in an underdog role? Well, I think it comes down to, to character and discipline. And if you have the right people leading the team and we're teaching character and discipline and overcoming adversity and hanging in tough, um, those things matter. And so you look at how blessed you know we've been at BYU and the coaches and the players that have come through there in the last five, 10 years. Um, we have people that have been able to rise to occasions. And um, that's just part of BYU culture and lore. And, um, you know, I, I, hopefully we keep it going. But we've won some big games in the past for some big opponents now. Can we do it at a consistent rate, more yeah. consistent rate than we have done in the past and get that win column up there to eight or, you know, eight to ten? You know, that's when I think we come back to being a, a, a national kind of force, a dominating force. But, you know, this is going to be a great year, a great test for us to see exactly where we fit on that scale. Interesting. Uh, Max throws out 10 pretty easily as, a, as the winningest quarterback. <laughs> well, that's all he knew. Like, it's all he knew. He should win 10 games, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, Jaron Hall. Listen, listen. Yeah, when I played, 10 games was a was a was a was a it was a like we won 10 games my junior year and we were all devastated. Yes. You know, like we won 11 games my sophomore year, 10, 11. Now, having said that, we were in the Mount West, so we had four or five games where like. If we lost, I should hang my cleats up and, and be done because it would have been bad. So uh, the competition is definitely different, and I understand that. We're not going to win 10, 11 games every year. But we should every couple years. A couple years, we should have a team to where we're competing for the conference championship. That's the expectations, right? Absolutely. You are an expert, Max, at being a rookie quarterback in the NFL because you were one. Here comes Jaron mm -hmm. Hall, a rookie, heading to the Vikings, behind Kirk Cousins, what do you think of his situation there as far as growth potential and kind of getting used to life as a professional football player? Yeah, well, first of all, I don't know if there's such thing as being an expert rookie in the <laughs> NFL, but if we're going to call me that, I'll take it, man. I'll take an expert rookie all day. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little bit different situation. You know, Jaron's in a great opportunity, in my opinion. Uh, the team – Drafted him. They got some money invested into him. Uh, means they want to develop him and, and see what he's got to be a potential starter for them in the future. I don't know Kirk Cousins personally. Never been around him. But I think from what I've seen from his play on the field, he's going to be a great guy for uh, Jaron to learn from. And he needs to go in with the – I mean, I remember as a rookie going to Matt Leiner and Derek Anderson just like, hey, guys, can I just be in the room? Can I – can I listen to you guys break down plays? Can I go out and throw with you guys? I'll get you coffee, donuts, whatever you need. I just want to learn, and I want to be around. And I think if Jaron has that um, demeanor about him, that he's humble and he's a hard worker, 
and and wins over the team, I could see Jaron, you know, uh, having a great opportunity in the future to to be a starter there and learn from Kirk Cousins. And so great opportunity for him. I couldn't be more happy. Jaron's a great guy. We all love Jaron, and we hope he does really well over there with the Vikings. Max Hall is with us on BYU Sports Nation. I mentioned you got a bunch of other things going on in your life as you recover from a ruptured Achilles. You're still the offensive coordinator for a very good high school football team, American Leadership Academy. And perhaps most importantly, Max, Victory Addiction Recovery Center is up and rolling, man. What's the latest there, and uh, how are things going in that effort? Yeah. Listen, I appreciate that, and I am, I am so excited um, about what we have going on at, at Victory Recovery. You know, going through addiction myself, and, you know, even when I hurt my Achilles, everybody's asking me, like, oh, shoot, what are you going to do? Are you going to take painkillers? Are you going to be tempted? What's going to happen? It's something that's going to be part of my life forever. And I have to keep it at the forefront of my mind. But also, I want to help others. I have a partner in Brock Bevel, and we hooked up and we said, Max, how can we make a difference? How can we do it different? How can we help people? So we're, we're bringing a great approach to recovery that's tailored to the individual. Uh, um, we're not a 12-step program, but we lose, use a lot of the 12-step principles and rec therapy and everything that goes along with it. So we're doing something special there. Uh, so, but yeah, like you said, we're up and running. Uh, we now have relationships with uh, Sober Living. So if you want to come be a part of our program from out of state, we have places for you to stay. Wow. And we're just doing everything we can to help. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to advertise what we're doing and be there for everybody because I know that you need a team in order to get sober and to stay sober. You need people around you. So that's what we're trying to do is provide a team for people, give them the resources, give them the tools, give them the disciplines that they need daily to get that crap out of their life and to move on and to start reaching their potential, what they're supposed to be doing. So that's what we do. We are officially open. If, if you're interested, if you're struggling with addiction, if you have a family member, a friend, um, reach out to us. We can help you. And if we can't help you, we'll point you in a direction where to somebody who can. And um, so you can look on our website. It's at victoryrecoveryaz.org. Um, our social media stuff is victoryrecoveryaz. And uh, reach out to us. We, we would love to talk to you and help you. But I got a lot going on, guys. And, and, but this is what I love about my life right now. It's stressful. <laughs> it's from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. every single day. It's 100 miles an hour. But I'm doing two things that I love. And that's football recovery oh. and so with, with all that said and done I'm, I'm happy with where i'm at at the end of the day and so grateful to be surrounded by the people i am and you know i tell people all the time ala and coaching football saved my life and glenn way and rich edwards taking me in and giving me the opportunity eight years ago when no one else would means a lot and i feel proud about where i'm at today so i guess that was a long spiel of what's going on with me but i appreciate you guys <laughs> bringing that up and, and, and let me talk about that a little oh, bit. Oh, you betcha. Great stuff, Max. We're proud uh, of you. Yeah, we love you. We're proud to know you. We commend you in your efforts, and we look forward to more great stories, man. Thanks for the time today. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. We just got done talking about 
the Big 12 quarterback rooms and BYU being number three, according to longtime Oklahoman rider Barry Trammell, who is joining us now. He's done a fantastic job specializing in Big 12 coverage. In fact, Barry, I mentioned before we went to the break that you are one of our favorites because you were one of the first riders in Big 12 country to be to go public and say BYU belongs in the Big 12. So thank you as we welcome you back to the show. Well, uh, I appreciate it, and uh, we're closing in on it. It's been a long journey. Uh, I know a lot longer for for the good people of Utah than than for me. But um, yeah, I was, I was on the BYU bandwagon a long time ago. I never could. You know, when I first learned about Brigham Young, I guess I was a teenager in the 70s, I kept thinking, why isn't BYU in a major conference? And, of course, now I know all the reasons. I uh, still don't agree with them. But um, but uh, it's coming soon. And uh, let's see. I'll be coming to Provo in November. Does Brigham Young play in Stillwater in October? Is that? No, no, no. Thanksgiving weekend. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving weekend. weekend. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, we'll get back-to-back Brigham Young games with our state teams, and so really looking forward to it. Brett Yormark got your personal travel requests, and uh, it's going to be fun to have you in Provo <laughs> November 18th and then uh, on the 25th there in Stillwater, which would be awesome. Um, certainly, um, we're interested in an article you put out uh, two days ago about the quarterback situations in the Big 12 it's fun. Frankly, Barry, it's fun to plug back into a league and just be like, oh, yeah, let's look around and get to know these people. We're, gonna, we're in a new neighborhood now. You put BYU as the third-best quarterback situation in the league. Why did you have the Cougars so high there? Well, I'm just high, really high on Keaton Slovis, uh, a guy with that much ex- uh, experience, that much success. He's done it at, uh, you guys just mentioned it, two different Power 5 leagues. He was really good at, at Southern Cal. Uh, they shoved him aside just to get the nation's best quarterback, which, you know, there's no, it's no crime against him. And then uh, I thought he played pretty well at Pitt in a difficult situation. It's a guy that he's completed 66% of his, of his career passes, uh, almost 10,000 yards passing. Uh, that's a lot of yards. Um, and uh, more than two to one TD to interception ratio, which is not fantastic, but is pretty good. You know, I don't know that he's a superstar, but I think he's a pretty good quarterback, and he's coming into a league that is not really deep in in, in established quarterbacks. So I think Brigham Young's in a pretty good situation. Well, with that in mind, Barry, and Keaton Slovis being a you know somewhat of a proven commodity, and you certainly are high on him. How do you think BYU will fare overall as a team in year one of Big 12 football play? Well, I mean, I don't really know the Brigham Young roster like you guys do or even where the level of talent has been the last two or three years. About all I can go by is watching a few games and and looking at scores. I think BYU's got some advantages compared to the other newcomers in that they've been playing more Power 5 type teams the last several years, uh, the schedule that Tom Holmo's put together, a lot of Pac-12 schools, and then you know a lot of a lot of other good opponents as well. So I I don't think the adjustment period is going to be quite as much for BYU as maybe uh, a uh, a Cincinnati, even with its playoff experience, or Houston, or 
or Central Florida. Um, I do think it's, uh, as with all the other newcomers, it's unfortunate timing that I don't know that your your roster is as quite as good as it might have been, say, two years ago. So, um, you know, if, if Brigham Young could have brought that 21 team into the Big 12 this year, you know, I, we're talking maybe title contention. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, so I, I think Brigham Young's going to be pretty good at, at the adjustment period. I just uh, I don't know that it's it, it's going to contend for a title right off the bat. But the Big 12 is a little bit down. It's wide open league. You know, the last uh, the last six teams to make the Big 12 championship game over three years, nobody's been twice. We've had we've had six different schools in the, in the Big 12 championship game the last three years. And one of them is not Texas. So lots of parity in the Big 12 as we make this transition. Yeah, not back, uh, as we were told. But, certain, <laughs> but certainly every year you expect them to be in the mix just because of pure talent. Is that parity going to be an issue uh, later for the Big 12 when it comes to kind of national contention? Because, frankly, everybody's playing for third behind the SEC and the Big 10, yet there can be a team who pops up and makes a run. Oklahoma certainly be, been the, the team that's represented the Big 12 the most. But there are questions, right, about the Sooners after last year under Brent Venerable's first season. So it's wide open. Who are some of the top contenders in your mind going into this fall? Well, I think uh, you have to look at four teams primarily. Um, And I think just from, you know, pedigree and and recruiting and those kinds of things is Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, Texas is actually – you know, they, they get picked higher than they deserve every year. This is the one year where they might actually deserve to be <laughs> yes, in the preseason. I, I, I mean, agree. You know, at some point, at some point, I used to say at some point, they are going to win the league again. <laughs> now, this is their last year in the Big 12, so yeah. the, 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 that actually might be the opposite, that they're never going to win the Big 12 again. But <laughs> they they actually could this year. Um but I also think the Purple Powers, TCU and K-State, made the Big 12 title game last year. And TCU, of course, made the national championship game. And uh, they've got some rebuilding to do. But certainly Sonny Dykes has the formula to how to build a roster and build a championship team. And uh, he used the portal well. I think he probably used it well again. But Kansas State's building a really good program. And uh, they've got you know Bill Snyder 2.0. And Chris Kleiman, who they just take a bunch of guys that you really don't think that good. And after you play them, you, you walk back to your locker room saying, man, those guys were good. So uh, I think K-State, TCU, Oklahoma, and Texas, and the Sooners probably have the most question marks of those. Um, you, they would have to have a defensive renaissance to win the Big 12 this year. Uh, but – Brent Venables may be capable of producing that. We'll see. Barry Trammell, longtime sports analyst and columnist for the Oklahoman, is on BYU Sports Nation. Barry, the two teams you cover closest, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, are about to part ways with the Sooners headed into the SEC as of July 1st, 2024. And Oklahoma State sticking around maybe to become the dominant power in the Big 12. We will see. But those two teams are two of the biggest question marks I have based on what happened last year. 
Their quarterback situation is a little bit more secure with Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma, but certainly Oklahoma State's wide open. In fact, they're number 13 out of 14 teams on your quarterback list. So, Barry, what, let's start with Oklahoma. What is Oklahoma this year? They do have a proven commodity of sorts with Dylan Gabriel, but what are they outside of Gabriel? Their uh, Oklahoma's talent base has been in gradual decline since, uh, say, the, the great Rose Bowl against Georgia, uh, the national semifinal in 17. They went ahead and made the playoff in 18, made the playoff in 19, won the Big 12 in 20. But they even under Lincoln Riley, it was a slow, uh, a slow drip of talent. And, um, you know, it's, it's not precipitous. It, it's not uh, – they haven't hit a Grand Canyon – of, of talent void, but they do have to get that thing turned in the other direction. Last season, they lost a lot of close games, uh, but the year before they won a lot of close games. So they, they weren't 11 and two and 21 and they weren't six and seven last year. They were about nine and four both years. So I assume that's about where they are this year. The question is, can Brent Venables, he's got a bunch of defensive portal guys, We'll see if those guys can make a difference. If they can, if they can start playing some, you know, some real defense, Oklahoma always finds a way to score. So uh, if he can work defensive magic, they could be a legitimate, you know, legitimate uh, Big 12 championship contender. Uh, he's probably a year away from that. They look to me like a 9-4 and four team, third or fourth in the Big 12. And quickly, uh, Oklahoma State, what, what, are, what are the Cowboys right now? Well, the offense is a mess. They've, they've ridden offense to great heights in recent years, but they lost their four-year quarterback, Spencer Sanders. He went to Ole Miss. They brought in Alan Bowman from Michigan. He was a third-teamer at Michigan for two years. Before that, he was really good at Texas Tech, but often injured. So he's a total mystery. Can he be the gunslinger he was in Lubbock? Um, can they get a running game going? They've lost their running game. So it's a tough the, – the offense has to get going. I think they're going to be pretty solid on defense, but Oklahoma State has lost its, its offensive mojo, and they've got to get it back if they want to be a player in this new-look Big 12. Very great stuff. We're looking forward to seeing you in Provo in late November and then uh, in Stillwater the following week. I'll be there. Great to see you guys. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. The NFL schedule, always anticipated, will be released tonight. Dave. Which matchup between former Cougars are you looking forward to the most? You know, the Falcons and the Saints oh, are going to yeah. play twice because they're in yep. the same division. So this year you got Jamal Williams and Taysom Hill on the Saints and Tyler Algier on the Falcons. Those two matchups, that's must-see TV for BYU. Fans. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I was kind of hoping that we'd have a battle L.A. between yeah. the Rams and the Chargers and have Michael Davis potentially defending against Puka Nakua. That's not going to happen because we know the opponents. But I'm really, Dave, I'm just looking, what I'm looking forward to most is trying to figure out when I go on these road trips with BYU football, <laughs> where I can go to interview NFL players at relatively close NFL stadiums. There's more and more opportunities now yes, than ever before. There's so many guys. That's what ex excites me the most is 
holy cow, BYU's got the better part of 20 guys in the NFL right now that are playing prominent positions. They're, they're skill positions. I'm uh, going to look and see if the Jets are, are playing the Vikings. And then you can have Zach Hill, Zach uh, Wilson, and uh, Jaron Hall. Hall staring at each other from sideline <laughs> to sideline. While the two veterans are out there, Rodgers and Cousins playing. And then you see the, the future over here looking at each other where they used to be teammates. Yeah, just, just <laughs> really excited to see you know where we can go and interview guys. We interviewed Dax Milne last year, Taysom Hill. We, we go and visit these guys, and we're going to do more of that this year in collaboration with our road trips to BYU football. As we should. Let's go. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio. BYU.